I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. The show is brought to you by my company, Body Shop Performance. We create total solutions to optimize your health by focusing on sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. We work with busy professionals on a one-to-one basis for six or 12 months using the latest science and technology. And Body Shop also work with businesses who want to create a culture of energy, vitality and performance and position well-being as a competitive advantage. Find out more at bodyshopperformance.com and enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to the Move the Guesswork podcast. I'm Leanne Spencer and this week we do something a little bit different actually. My guest is uh, children's author Suzanne Hemming. I met Suzanne at a networking event locally uh, near where I live in South London, and we really hit it off primarily because of some shared values around gender equality and kind of the messaging that we give young children, young girls, but also young boys. So we decided to put this podcast together for you. And the main, main bulk of what we talk about is around gender inequality, what we can do to get more equality messaging that we give to young children and that's girls as well as boys and we touch as well on toxic masculinity and how the feelings of inequality or the disparate way in which we may be bringing up boys and girls is affecting their well-being and their mental and physical health later on in life and we also touch on how Suzanne's own well-being has changed from getting really connected to her own personal values which she realized at the birth of her daughter was all about inequality, gender equality. So I hope you enjoy the show. Everything we talk about, so Suzanne's blog, we link to in the show notes, including her website. So enjoy the show. This is Suzanne Henning. Suze, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. No, it's a pleasure. So we're talking about something that's slightly a step aside from some of my normal topics, you know, well-being, being around sleep, mental health, mm-hmm. energy, and so on. This, I think, is more about how we as individuals see our place in the world. It's about having a sense of equality. It's about confidence and self-esteem. And that's what I really wanted to explore with you. Obviously, you've written a book, mm-hmm. which you can tell us all about. But, you know, how do you describe yourself? When people say to you, you know, you're going to a networking event in an hour's time. Yep. And people say, what do you do? How do you describe? How do you answer that question? I used to say I was an aspiring children's author. And now I say I'm a children's author and an activist mm-hmm. because I realize that it's not just about writing the children's books. It's about helping to spread the message and build awareness, awareness that I definitely didn't have before I had my daughter mm. in 2013. And so if I didn't have it, then plenty of us didn't have that awareness. So mm. yeah, I describe myself now as an author and an activist. And what type of activist? What in particular are you trying to raise awareness of? Trying to raise awareness of the lack of inequality that there is in the world for men and women. Trying mm. to raise awareness of the fact that even though we think, you know, women have got the vote and there's the Equal Pay Act and, you know, we're in a, a kind of era of Me Too where people are much more open about talking, much more aware of things that happen the fact that actually we still have all of this very heavily ingrained bias in us against, well, everybody and everything, actually. Mm. You know, we've just grown up in a world where, yeah, girls 
sit and look pretty and men are strong. And I think it impacts massively on how we see ourselves in the world, what we do with our lives, our careers, how we treat men and women. Yeah. Well, I agree with all of that. So okay. let's pick, <laughs> a, pick a lot of that. But what was the moment? <clears throat> I'm guessing it was around you know, the birth of your daughter, as you've alluded to. But what was the moment when you thought, actually, this is a real issue, it's still an issue? And then when you decided to actually take action? Well, the time that I started to become very aware, I guess my daughter was about eight or nine months old. We were approaching her first Christmas and I decided it would be nice if she had some old fashioned fairy tales and stories that I had had when I was little. And I guess I was also gearing up for the possibility of watching lots of Disney movies as she got older and we started to watch films together. Those books arrived, Father Christmas, obviously. Mm -hmm. And I just started to read them. I just started to read a lot of those tales, a lot of those fairy tales with kind of open adult modern eyes and thinking, God, the messages in these books are really outdated. And I think... And I will give kind of a few examples, but what I was going to go on to say was, I think, you know, it's a little bit like when you buy a red car, you suddenly see lots of other red cars on the street. Mm. When you eyes have been open to something, you just can't unsee it. And then you start to see it everywhere. So I, it wasn't that kind of one bang light bulb moment. It was just, it kind of grew then over about the next year or so from my daughter's first Christmas. But the kinds of messages that I started to see in the books were things like, you know, The Little Mermaid. I love The Little Mermaid. Who doesn't love a singing crab, you know? But Ariel literally gives up her voice for a man who doesn't know that she exists. You know, 100 years ago, women died to fight for the right for women to have a voice mm. and a vote. And here is Ariel 100 years later, just giving her voice away, mm. you know? You know, Cinderella just... The important thing is, is that she's pretty, that she's dressed up in a fabulous yeah. frock. She goes to the ball so she can win the prince's hand. The prince doesn't even recognize her the next day when she's not wearing a ball gown. You know, she's mm. in day wear and he hasn't got a clue who she is. And then, you know, most importantly of all, or certainly one of the most important ones, Sleeping Beauty is asleep when the prince climbs through the window. He, he breaks and enters. He climbs through the window. He kisses her while she's asleep. There is no opportunity for consent. Mm. and Lots of people laugh when I make these comments. Lots of people say they're just stories. Lots of people have attacked more and said, you know, you're just messing with traditional story tales. You know, there's no harm here. Yeah. But they're just all messages that drip, 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 drip feed from every yeah. bit. Stories, films, comments we say, games kids end up playing. They're all those messages that teach children these outdated Mm. views, values, belief systems. So that's a really long-winded way of me answering your question. There was no one light bulb moment, mm. but I, yeah, I started to, I just started to view the word world very differently. Yeah. Yeah. Once my eyes were opened, you can't close them again. Yeah. And uh, at this point, were you aspiring to write children's books? No, I hadn't thought about it at that point. I'd started getting into blogs, I guess, because, you know, during those like 3am feeds, you're frantically looking for information about how on earth to raise a tiny human. And mm. there are lots of blogs and articles and things out there. I started reading more blogs. I set up a blog, partly just for something interesting to do, you know, a creative outlet. I'd always enjoyed writing, partly just for a bit of sanity, really, you know, kind of just 
get all those thoughts out, dump all of those thoughts about parenthood and struggles and, you know, get them out of your brain, put them somewhere else. And then as I became more and more aware of the kind of inequality issues that I think we still face in the world and in society, I started to write a little bit about those on the blog. And then I decided I would try and tackle some children's fairy tales and see if I could rewrite those with a more modern message. Mm. And I, I had to go at Cinderella. I wrote a rhyming story about Cinderella, which I put out on the blog. And then I just got lots of fantastic feedback from people about how good it was and had I ever thought about writing and doing this. And actually, at the time, I was also struggling a bit with what would I do when I went back to work. I decided to take a few years off, but what would I do? And what was your vocation? I worked in television and film before, not creatively. I was a production manager or a line producer, which meant I was the organiser, the facilitator, mm-hmm. you know, set up the shoot, booked all the crew, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'd had no opportunity to write or be creative in that way in my kind of previous working life. And again, it's like something gets in your head and you just kind of you can't let go of it. And you just think, well, I'm going to have a go. Let's just see. So I just, I had a go. I started Mm. writing and then it's kind of grown from there, really. And what's it grown to? So, oh, how many books have you got? So I've published two books, published two children's story books. The first one was She's Not Good for a Girl, She's Just Good. Mm -hmm. And the second one was The Queen Engineer. The first one has a kind of sporting equality slant. The second one has more of a STEM angle to it. I'm writing a third book, the theme of which I'm exploring toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. And I set up a publishing company. From that, I've held events, supper clubs, networking things. Yeah, the kind of activism and the kind of spreading the message and, you know, building awareness has grown from that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, quite a lot has happened mm. really over Congrats the last few years. Congrats on publishing the books. Thank no, you. no easy thing to get no. published or to write them. No, not at all. Yeah. Before we go into toxic masculinity, which is something I wanted to talk about, how has sort of getting deeply, more deeply connected with your values improved your well-being, or has it? Has it changed how you feel about yourself? Do you feel any any differently because of it? Yes, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but yes, I think it has changed because I don't think before I was a person who kind of felt the fear and did it anyway. Mm. I think I lived with quite a lot of anxiety and fear. I, you know, if you told me of 10 years ago that I would be happy to, you know, publicly talk about my opinions aware that I might face criticism, I might face a very opposite opinion that I would have to discuss, debate. Yeah, the me of about 10 years ago would never have believed that I would have been happy to do that. I don't think I stuck my head above the parapet very much. I think I was very much a kind of, well, I think this, but I'll just sit in the corner and keep quiet. How much of that was a dislike of criticism, a fear of criticism, which I guess most of us have. How much of that was I'm a woman and I just kind of had learned to just sit quietly in the corner and not speak up? How much of that was just me, my personality, just kind of somebody who didn't, you know, confidently kind of 
voice opinions or share thoughts or whatever. Mm. I don't know, probably a whole big combination of everything. But yeah, now, yeah, now I'm much more comfortable in my, in my beliefs and my thoughts and the message and the desire to try and make a change and try and make a difference. Mm. And I guess as a result of that, just a bit less fearful, you know, a bit kind of more comfortable with my thoughts and mm. who I am, I guess. So mm. yeah, it has. I, I hadn't actually even thought about that, but I guess it has impacted on my well-being and how I view myself and think of myself and see myself in the world. Yeah, yeah. and I think by the time this goes out, I will have recorded an insights episode on junk values. Okay. By which I mean some of the things that a lot of us value now are material possessions. They're not principles or, or in important things like a meaningful connection to work, to purpose, okay. to nature, to connection, but it's about stuff. And, and that desire to acquire stuff means that we have to be in a job that we may not like, which profoundly impacts our well-being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those are kind of junk values. Junk values would be more watches are better than one watch. Three cars is better than two cars, or this must be this brand of car rather than yeah. just a vehicle that will propel me from A to B. About requiring maybe friends of status symbols, you know, all that kind of stuff. They're junk values. Yeah. And I think when you get really deeply anchored to meaningful values, like standing up for what you feel, you know, very passionately about, yeah. striving for equality in the world, trying to help young children, not just young girls, yeah. to really find their place in the world on equal footing. And on that, that kind of that gives us an opportunity to segue into toxic masculinity, because I know when we spoke offline, this is not just about campaigning for equality for girls, but actually there's an impact of all of this on young boys as well, which has been talked about a little bit. But yes. I mean, what do you mean by toxic masculinity? Or what's your kind of, what do you take from that term? So when I think of toxic masculinity, I think of people using phrases like man up, don't cry like a girl, don't run like a girl just toughen up, take it like a man, boys will be boys. Mm. Because I guess I view it and the impact that it has on children. You know, I'm a mum of a six and a half year old. And so I look at the world a lot as how, what her place in the world is and how I can make it better mm. for her and for her generation and her peers. So I view toxic masculinity as society's desire for men to behave a certain way, a way that is seen as masculine, a way that is seen as strong, as capable, as not showing emotion. And it's toxic because of the impact that it has on both the well-being of men, the well-being of women, and how they interact with each other, not just in a male-female relationship, but in you know, male-female romantic relationship, but in the workplace, amongst friends, amongst family members. Mm. Yeah, that's that's my view on mm -hmm. my thoughts about what toxic masculinity is. Okay, cool. How do you think so the inequality <clears throat> that's been presented or the messaging that, that's positioning, you know, girls in a very feminine, traditionally feminine way and boys in a masculine way, what impact is that having on the the well-being of young boys? And then And then as they grow up? So as I understand it, you know, the majority of young boys, and again, this all comes down to our kind of ingrained biases and, you know, phrases that we just use because our parents use them, their parents use them. Little boys who believe they shouldn't cry, that they should not do anything like a girl, that they should be manning up all the time and being tough all the time. 
Well, anyone who is not kind of living as their true self, Hmm. you know, their authentic self, who they are, how they feel, what they think, anybody who is living that way, regardless of their gender or their age, they're going to be living with a certain amount of unhappiness. And I think boys who are told not to show their feelings when they're little boys will grow up into men who don't feel that they can show their feelings Mm -hmm. as men. Mm -hmm. They will grow up into men who won't cry, who will ignore feelings of sadness, despair, who will treat each other differently, potentially, if they do see another man who shows those, what society would determine weaknesses, you know, behaving more like a woman, showing emotional traits, crying, being unhappy. I mean, I think you're right. And one of the things that, as you were talking there, a couple of things, really. I think a lot of, of the expectation we have on boys and girls is some of what I call generational debris. You know, we are moving away from that. But my mum occasionally, and I don't want to sling mum under the bus because she's a, a very open-minded, liberal mother. But sometimes, you know, for example, her husband's half-brother and his wife have got young kids. And it was a few years ago, and uh, it's Pete and Laura, their names. And, and Laura was going out for a run in the morning. And, and mum, you know, mum sort of commented it was Christmas morning, you know, should, should we not, you know, the family not be together? And I just wondered whether she'd say the same if it was Pete going out for the run, you know, whether she had, there's no, a different expectation. Not, no. Possibly not. Yeah. And that's the kind of generational debris I'm talking about. Because, you know, in, in our generation, we don't, t- you know, a, a bit more open-minded and accepting of the equalities. But I think for, you know, for someone who's in the 70s and older, when they grew up, and in fairness to my mother and anyone else of that age, when they grew up, there was an expectation that that women had a different role. I mean, my mum was brought up to to be a PA or to get married. I mean, it was secretarial work or marriage. They were your conventional options then. So yeah, definitely. different generation. Of this and not at the same time. You know, if you did become yeah. a PA or a secretary, then you most definitely gave that up when you had children. You yeah. Know? Yeah, those generational kind of stereotypes. Yeah. Yeah, you were expected very much to behave in a certain way. Mm. And those hangovers are still there because we just pick them up from our parents, from their parents, from society. Yeah. I'll tell you a, a, a story about a moment when I kind of thought, okay, this is why I want to make toxic masculinity the subject of my next children's book. And it is in a variation going to feature in the book, actually. My daughter and I went to a butterfly house at a local museum, the Horniman Museum. And we went into the butterfly house, just gorgeous, glorious, butterflies everywhere, beautiful colours. She was fascinated by it, as most of us would be, you know, by the colour and the the, the kind of magicalness that was in there. We came out, we exited through the gift shop. That's what you have to do when you leave Mm. the museum. And lots of the gifts in the gift shop were butterfly-related or nature-related, animal-flower-related theme. There was, a, I think, a family, I'm assuming a mum and a boy and a girl. The little boy had picked up a kid's wand, like a fairy wand. Mm. But normally, where there would be a star on the top of the wand, there was a butterfly, really sparkly, glittery butterfly. I mean, who wouldn't, you know, we're all magpies, who wouldn't have picked it up? Yeah. And the minute the little boy picked it up and said, can I have this, the mum snatched it from him, she put it back on the shelf and she said, what do you want that for? That's a girl's toy. That's a bit girly. Don't be so ridiculous. Wow. Pick something else. Mm. And it really broke my heart to see that little boy's face mm. crumble in public, in front of his sister, in front of other people, standing with his mum. 
and being told that he couldn't have what he wanted to have. He mm. couldn't have the toy that he wanted because it wasn't for him. It was just for girls. Mm. And if he chose it, he would be too girly. And the inference there, of course, is that is a bad thing. You mm. cannot have that because it is a bad thing for you to want to be anything like a girl. And I can remember telling this story to a handful of people. And I can remember somebody, an older lady in her 70s, saying to me, do you really think that any issues will come of that? Do you really think that's a problem? Like, wouldn't he just pick another toy? Like, what's the but issue? It wouldn't be an isolated thing, would it? That would be the repeat messaging that's going on all the time at home. That is the thing. Mm. It is never any of those messages that children receive. They are never in isolation. They are always on repeat, whether mm. they're at home from the parent who has those views and opinions or whether they're other kids in school, whether they're it's something they read in a book, see on a film, mm. anything. And so I, you know, my response to this person was, I really do think that could negatively impact on that little boy. He is probably going to feel embarrassment and a bit of shame for having been called out and told off like that in public. You know, as human beings, we so often turn feelings of embarrassment and shame into anger. It's too difficult to deal with those feelings about mm. ourselves. So we turn them onto others <coughs> and we turn them into anger. It's quite possible that he's not going to be honest in the future with his family members and other people about what he truly likes and dislikes, what he truly enjoys mm. and doesn't enjoy doing. It's quite possible that if he sees another child, particularly another little boy, liking something in the same way, that he could then go on to mock that Mm. Other little boy, he could then go on to, you know, make fun of another child for mm. their likes and dislikes because he's been taught that it's a bad thing, because he's been taught that it's something to feel shame about. So, yeah, there's the, you know, I just remember thinking there are so many negative things that can come from a moment like that, of which, as you say, there are many. It's just mm. constant. Not just for that little boy, though, I realized, but for his sister standing there and any other little girls who hear those messages. Because if you repeatedly hear that boys shouldn't like or do things because it's girly, then are those little girls going to internalise that actually there's something wrong with that? It's not good enough for boys. Is it mm. good enough for me? I like this. Am I good enough because I like this? You have both genders who negatively the impact is negative on both of them one potentially hiding what they truly like and dislike and feel and think and want to say and want mm. to share and who they want to be and how they want to dress what job they want to do and then for the other gender for the female gender you know anything to do with self-worth and self-esteem and believing that actually they are somehow second mm. you know internalizing those deep-rooted me messages they are somehow second to the male you know, to the man. So yeah, how does that then filter down through the young women with regards yeah. to how they feel about themselves, whether they feel they can do a male job, just saying it in air quotes because mm. there are no male jobs. Yeah, it, it really, it really does impact on yeah. both. And the very fact that having spoken to a handful of people who said to me, well, that's not really going to affect him, is it? When I told this story, just you know, again, my eyes were just opened that bit further that, oh my God, yes, mm. these messages are really impacting 
men and women, yeah. really impacting on boys and girls. So we really do need to get in when mm. they're little and try and make those changes. Am I right in thinking that suicide is the leading cause of preventable death for men in the UK of a certain age? So men under the age of 45, suicide is the biggest killer yeah. in the UK, which is a really shocking statistic mm. because if you'd said what was the biggest killer of men, you might have said cancer. Most most of us would say cancer, mm. maybe heart disease. But suicide is the biggest killer of men under 45. Back in 2018, this was around the time that I was becoming more aware of toxic masculinity and the the issues relating to it. There's a charity called CALM, Mm -hmm. which stands for the Campaign Against Living Miserably. Mm -hmm. And they joined forces with an American artist. His name was Mark Jenkins. And they created 84 individual sculptures that they placed on the top of the the ITV building that's on the South Bank. Mm-hmm. And they, the individual sculptures were based on 84 real men who had taken their lives. They worked with the families and loved ones. And the reason they made 84 was because the statistics show that there are 84 men a week who take their own lives in the UK. That's one man killing himself every two hours, which just blows my mm. mind absolutely mm. blows my mind and you know i noticed you you said preventable deaths and i think i think how this all ties in of course to toxic masculinity is if men are expected to behave a certain way if there's a certain standard that men should adhere to if society expects men to man up and be tough and not cry like a girl then are men less likely to seek help? Mm. Are men less likely to share how yeah, they feel? There's definitely a correlation. Isn't Most there? definitely, I think. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. More women than men are likely to be diagnosed with mental health issues, anxiety, depression. But men are, I think it's three times more likely than a woman mm. to actually take their own lives. And when you start looking at those kind of numbers, how can there not be a correlation mm. between being told to man up from the age of one, two, three, four, and reaching whatever age yeah. and <clears throat> thinking you have no other options in yeah. life but to take your own life? There's a surprising poster child, it's not the right, he's not a child, but who is starting, who is quite pivotal at the moment in a very outspoken way and trying to change this by talking openly about mental health. And that's the boxer Tyson Fury, you know, brought up as a traveller, boxed from a very young age, won the world heavyweight titles from Vladimir Klitschko a few years ago and then fell into a deep, dark depression, drugs, alcohol, everything. Yeah. And has come through the other side, you know, got a draw with Deontay Wilder last December. Look, he's the lineal heavyweight champion of the world, looking to get those titles back. And it's just published a book, which is out now, which is about his fight with mental health. And I think that will go some way towards countering some of that toxic masculinity because you don't get much more masculine in a conventional sense than, than a six foot five sense. inch boxer brought up as a, as a gypsy where men don't cry. You know, in, in very much in that men don't cry, you go out there and you fight. That's how you sort out your differences. You don't yes. show emotions. Very gender specific roles. Very much. Yeah, very, very much so still. And there are many others as well. And obviously with, with the books that you're writing aimed at sort of addressing from a very young age these issues and trying to put some positive messages into children's heads as opposed to the traditional fairy tales, whether they've been modernised a bit or not, they're still very much 
you know, boy saves girl. Yes. You're strong, you look pretty. And, you know, yeah. I, I still think there's a lot of that in society now. And it does profoundly impact the well-being of both men and women. So there's much to be done. But congratulations on what you're doing Thank and trying you. to turn that round. How can people get your books? Where are they sold? Well, you can buy them on Amazon. Yep. I sell them directly through my own website, which is theachopsbooks. And you write under Suzanne Hemming, don't you? I write under Suzanne Hemming, yeah. Yep. So if they put Suzanne Hemming into Amazon, they we'll can find We'll link in the show me. notes as well. Thank you. I mean, they are available in other bookstores, but I don't know exactly everyone. They go through my distributor who, you know, yep. any, any bookstore can stock them basically. But Amazon is, the, I guess, the most well-known one that people yep. will be able to find. So. Cool. And when's the third book out? Well, no date yet. Yeah, interestingly, for my own well-being, I took a bit of pressure off myself. I had decided that I really wanted to get it out for this Christmas. Mm. And then by the end of the summer, I was really feeling a lot of pressure, thinking I want to do this well. It's such a big subject. It's such an important subject. You know, I, I want to do it justice. Mm. And was really feeling like I actually didn't have the time. So for my own mental health and well-being, I took the pressure off. So I'm now saying spring, okay. but again, I'm not putting a definite date on it because I want to give myself that space to do it justice without, yeah, you know, while still feeling yeah. well within myself. Really so yeah, so let's it. say spring. Yeah. Let's okay, say spring Well, time. there we are. Spring. You've committed. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Okay. We'll link to the blog. We'll link to the books. If there's anything else you think would be useful for people, we'll put that in the show notes as well. Thanks very much for coming on. Thank you for having me. <laughs> 